right. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Oh, you're not that great, huh? I mean, like, come on. We get to worship Jesus today. What are you talking about? This is awesome. Together. All right. Well, a few things. First of all, if you're new here to Cornerstone, I just wanted to personally say uh, welcome. We're very glad to have you here. Um, this is our family, and uh, if you are someone that's new, just know you are welcome here. You're a guest amongst us, and so we just want to say thank you so much. Our biggest hope is not only that you encounter this group of people, but understand this. The most important aspect of who we are is the person, Jesus Christ. And so that's our biggest hope, is that you really encounter King Jesus today in a, in a powerful way. And so today also is a special day, is that uh, Cornerstone at different points, um, elders leave. Like we finally got to get rid of like Chris and Terry, which was so awesome. And you know, so we have attrition as they, as they move out of town, but then we also, what's so cool about today is we get to talk about an elder that we're looking to bring on. Elders are leaders within the local church. They're most importantly, let me just say this, they're not cowboys that are, that are stirring up the doggies and driving the, the, the cattle. The Bible calls them shepherds. They lead. And they lead understanding that they're not the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We get to be these ones that come underneath our great king and help people to know and love and follow King Jesus. And so at Cornerstone, what we do is we have a process where we have people submit men to us. Um, in this case, uh, Steve's one of those people that gets submitted. After he got submitted, we, we then walk through a, a, a lengthy process where we try to find out who he is. We explain what eldership is. We get his testimony. We, we then work after that to begin to understand just who he is from a character standpoint. We believe that one of the most important aspects of a leader within the church is how the gospel has transformed them to look more and more like Jesus. And so that's, that's character. We then reach out to family members, wives, kids, coworkers, neighbors, where we try to find out are they, are they who they say here out in the, the world in which they live. And then after that process, we also know that one of the chief roles of elders is to guard true doctrine. They, they know God's word and they can explain God's word. And so one of the joys for me and Christian was to just walk with Steve, not only through what he believes and to understand what he believes, but also as we walk through our doctrinal statement to make sure that we're together on that. And then the last kind of part, or the next part, is to present that person to our church. And this is where you all take over. I'm going to present Steve to you. Some of you know him. Uh, some of you don't know him. But he's going to give his testimony here in just a little bit because we want to, you know this, I, I want you to know the leaders, the shepherds that are, that are guiding uh, Cornerstone but we'll present him to you, and after he gets done with his testimony, then I'll tell you what your, your job is as the local church in this role. So let me introduce Steve. He's a, he's a great friend. I've known him since, I, we were talking about since 2006. Yep. Uh, we're, we're, he still likes me, so I was excited about that. And, um, but also gotten to know uh, Jackie, the, the, the kiddos, and we just absolutely adore him. So it's my privilege to, to present to you as our congregation, as one of the potential elders, uh, Steve Anderson this morning. Thank you, Todd. Oh, good morning, church. It's, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I'm Steve Anderson, my wife, Jackie. We have three kids, Gunner, Lucas, and Elon. And we know many of you, some of you we don't know, and I was thinking about this. So we've been at Cornerstone since 2006, but we lived in Camarillo for about 10 years. 
And so we were always commuting in. Um, and then we moved to Thousand Oaks in about 2015, and again, commuting in. So I feel like we've never quite been in the core CME, but we've been leading community groups and been just a part of this church, loving this church, uh, really since, since we started coming. Uh, there was a, a few years where we were also in Tampa, Florida. I'll explain that in a minute. And those Sunday commutes were rough, but, <laughs> but God is good. Um, who am I? So I was born in Pasadena, California, was raised in Arcadia, uh, right up until the age of kind of middle school. Um, my parents were believers. My grandparents on both sides were believers. I had aunts and uncles. And we were all in that town area. And man, growing up in that environment, I loved it. Um, just to see the faith of all of my family and to feel like, God, you've been with me since I can remember. So it was odd when about middle school, my dad got a new job, took us up to Santa Barbara, California, and I had to leave all of that. And that wasn't my desire. And I would have loved to have just stayed where I was forever. That was sort of glory, and that was great, and that was family. That was what I knew. But God is good. And even though that wasn't my desire, he brought me to a new place. I, I got involved in a church in Santa Barbara. I was active in the youth group, got baptized at 13, and my faith continued to grow. And God just proved how faithful he was through all of that. But right around college, uh, my first a couple years of college, I was going to uh, Santa Barbara City College. I think that's the first time where I, I saw myself rebel. Maybe not outwardly, but in my heart. And um, what, was, what was challenging then was just feeling like I wasn't living who God had made me to be. Uh, I was getting involved in stupid stuff, making selfish, selfish decisions with relationships and other things that I, I realized this is not good. And in God's just amazing grace, he, he convicted me of that. And I said, okay, God, as I transfer now, I need to be in a more Christian environment. God, I need fellowship. I need believers around me. I need people that'll stir me up and build me up. God, I've got an idea. There's a small private Christian college in Santa Barbara. That's, that's where I need to be. And I was praying diligently that the finances would work out. And God, in his goodness and mercy, answered my prayer and took me to the hedonistic pit of Isla Vista, UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> but God did answer my prayer because that's where I met a fellowship of believers. That's where I got engaged with a group of 30 guys and living in a house where we were on mission together and we were serving God and we were presenting the gospel to others. And these were believers that honestly didn't need to be. Uh, everything in the world around there said, do whatever you want, live however you want, go out and party. And these guys were committed to Christ. It was the first time in my life where I got to experience that. And what a blessing that was. It's where I met my wife. And a year after graduation, we got married. Praise God. But what I was learning in those processes was what I desired wasn't always what God was going to do in my life. And that was a good thing. And that carried into our marriage as we came to Cornerstone and we moved to Camarillo and we got involved in a young married small group. And we thought, oh, this is it. This is perfect. This is great. These are going to be our friends forever. God, this is so good. Thank you for bringing us together with these people. And a year and a half later, Cornerstone did community groups. And now we had to blow that whole group up and we had to go and chase after new people and get engaged. And you know what? That was good. And all of a sudden we had 30 to 40 people out in Camarillo and we were saying, this is amazing. These are gonna be the friends that we're gonna be with forever. And this is gonna be our fellowship unending. And then one by one, those families started to move or go to different local churches or move out of state. Sound familiar? And you feel this sense of, wait a minute, God, what's going on? We desired something. I thought you were gonna do something great and marvelous and we were gonna be in this forever. But God has a way of shifting those things and changing, and that was what was happening in our life. Until eventually, uh, God said, I'm gonna move you. 
So 2015, we moved to Thousand Oaks. We get into a house. We think, this is it. We're going to be here forever. This house is perfect. Look at it. We've got a great yard. Our kids are in a great school. And less than a year and a half later, uh, due to work, I work at Amgen in Thousand Oaks. And there was an opportunity, and God confirmed it and said, I'm moving you to Tampa, Florida, a place 3,000 miles away from all your friends and family, a place you don't know anyone and you know nothing about. I think we'd committed practically before we'd even set foot there. And it was amazing, and it was good, and I'd love to tell you more about it someday, but just know that God was so good in all of that. So I tell you this because what I have learned is, man, God is good when it comes to his ways and his plans. And often, the things that I desired weren't bad. I desired fellowship and family. I desired the things that I think we all want, that comfort and that stability. And God found ways to shift that, and it got even better. The last thing I would just say, and just so you know my heart is, God's been doing a work in me recently with just reminding me how good his grace is. And it was revelatory for me in a way because I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up around believers and feeling that um, I knew who he was, he knew who I was, and I was in sure footing with God. But you know the reality is uh, I needed grace and I needed God's mercy just as much as anyone else. I think a lot of us, if we're thinking about it, we are the heroes of our own story, right? If they made a movie of our lives, we're the protagonist, we're the main character. And if I think of my story, I was that. I was like Luke Skywalker. I started out as a good kid, and I just needed to learn the ways of the Force, or in this case, learn Jesus, and I was going to get better. The reality is that wasn't true at all. You know, if there's a hero archetype that I'm more like, it's Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm selfish. I was greedy, maybe not for money, but for my own comfort and my own desires and my own things, and to the point where I didn't care as much about others. And it was this revelation that God has walked me through recently of saying, do you not see that my grace is just as important for you in your life as it is for anyone who maybe came from the darkest pits of sin? I don't have a story that tells you I was in deep addiction or living on Skid Row or in some dark, dark place. There is no less a miracle that happened in my life through Christ. And I am just so pleased that I can share that with you this morning. And I'm pleased to say this, that as I've gotten to know the leaders and elders of this church through this process, wow, God is steering cornerstone through these men. And when I say steering, he is at the center of where this church is going. I've gotten to witness that firsthand. I want you all to know, and I testify to this, the, the captain of this ship is Jesus. It's not Todd or Christian or anyone else. It is Jesus. And there is no greater church you want to be at than a church that knows that Jesus is steering the ship. And just getting to know that and understand that and see the men and the humility and the way that they're carrying that, I am, I'm privileged, I'm honored, and I'm excited to serve alongside you. So if I don't know you, please introduce yourself. I'd love to get to know you more. Our family would love to get to know you more, and we're just happy to be here. So thanks for listening. So glad you got to just get a little a glimpse of, of him and growing up on the hard streets of Santa Barbara, <laughs> then his, taking his family to just the rugged territory of Tampa Bay. And so, man, it's been hard for you, brother, but we're glad that you're... No, like, I think what it is, though, that I love what he said is regardless of where we grow up or our story, it's still God's grace. God's grace is what transforms and changes us. And so I'm so thankful for the work that God has done in his life. So now here's your part. For the next four weeks, we're gonna ask all of you to pray. 
we're gonna ask you not only to pray, but we're gonna ask you, would you consider taking one day a week, and I don't care if it's breakfast or if it's lunch or dinner, but would you also fast? Would you pray with us? Because again, we want someone like, like Steve, we want to affirm him, because that's gonna happen. It's at the end of the four weeks, if we believe from, from you all, and from what the elders have done, that this man is supposed to be one of the shepherds at Cornerstone, we are going to put him before you, we're gonna lay hands on him, and we're gonna commission him as a leader. But prior to that, would you please pray with us? And truly, just pray, God, make sure that we, we, want, we want men that love Jesus, that are shepherds, that, are, that aren't the ones that are, are out there lording it over, but truly are the ones that understand what it means to lead from a position of humility like Jesus did. And so not only pray, but if there's any feedback, and oftentimes when we say feedback, people assume we mean something bad, you know? So, I mean, yeah, if, I mean, if he's a man that's out killing kittens, we wanna know that. But, um, but no, any other area of his life, if there's an area of his life that anybody knows about, please let us know. But also, if there's a quality of what Jesus has done in his life, let us know. Like, let us know that, no, I, I know Steve, and he's a man of God, and he walks with Jesus. So those are the things. Now, that's, that's your responsibility. And at the end of four weeks, we'll take all of that information in. We'll, we'll as elders, look it over. Uh, we'll pray through it. And our heart and our belief is, is that after that, then we'll bring him forward and we'll, we'll, we'll lay hands on him and we'll commission him as one of the shepherds and leaders, which we're super excited about. So makes sense to everybody? So four weeks, pray. Please find a time during the week to fast and then also give us feedback, both anything that we need to know about, maybe some areas that he needs to grow in or some areas that you've really seen Jesus do at work. And at the end of that four weeks, then we'll, we'll, we'll let you know what happens. So everybody with me? All right, let's give Steve a hand. All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, let's open them up. Let's get into God's word this morning. Um, we're going to be in First Thessalonians, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll make sure that I put it up here on the, on the screen for you to be able to see. But uh, for those of you that were here last week, we were able to catch it online. And for all of those of you that are, are, are currently on Facebook or YouTube or our own website, just wanted to say love you, care about you. I know for different reasons people can't be here right now. And I know there's a lot of you, but just wanted to say that we truly do. We love you as well uh, this morning. But we're in the book of, of 1 Thessalonians. Let me, let me kind of start it off this particular way. I think one of the most important things that, that Paul's gonna do in the, in the, in the book of, of 1 Thessalonians is he's gonna mess with our understanding of perception. Now everybody knows perception can be right, but also perception can be wrong. Now let, let me give you a funny example before I take you to I think what is more serious about this understanding of having a correct perception of the world. Well, one of the, the, the things about me is I'm a child of the 80s, right? So I grew up in the 80s. I, uh, I grew up specifically, and I would say it this way, any of you know this that grew up in the 80s, you grew up with MTV, right? I mean, that was like, I still remember the first night that it came on cable. My parents didn't have cable, but a friend, Brett Balawa, he had cable. And so we were going to catch the first night of MTV. And does anybody know the first song that was on, on that night? What? No, not Thriller. Radio killed them. Yes, the video star. Very good. You, you can get your prize out later. Um, but that's just what you became, right? And so, like, if you ever remember, like, the people that were on MTV, you just saw them as these larger-than-life people. That was, that was our perception. Well, one day in the 90s, right, I was, I was, in, uh, I was at a hotel, and I go to get on the hotel, and I, I'm on one floor, and I go down a floor, and this kind of entourage of people get on, 
And all of a sudden I realize I'm on the elevator with Prince or whatever symbol he was at that particular time. <laughs> okay, does anybody know how tall Prince is? He's 5'2". And I'm standing next to him and my perception was blown. I'm like, hey, little buddy, you know, I was just like, you look cute, look at you, you know. But perception, again, was completely wrong because MTV presented him as this, like, larger-than-life man as he, as he, you know, this sang uh, whatever songs he sang on, on MTV. But I think now, kind of on a funny level, we can have a perception that's wrong. But I would say this, and this is what Paul's trying to do with the Thessalonians. When we have a perception of the world that isn't correct, it can really mess with us. It can really mess with our understanding of the world and how to live in the world. And one of the greatest things that I'm gonna try to propose to you that what is what Paul does in the book of 1 Thessalonians is to help us grasp and understand a correct perception on the world because as we know this, this particular people, these Thessalonians, as I tried to kind of lay out next week, and, and Christian's going to really help us understand even more the next week, and the week after that, we're going we're to keep unpacking this. They were a church that was experiencing conflict. They were a church that was experiencing uh, even persecution. They were experiencing suffering. And if you've ever been at that point, let me just say it this way. If you've ever walked through those dark moments in life, that dark moment can have a perception of feeling way bigger than actually what it is in comparison to our God. And so this is what Paul's gonna do, is he's gonna help them to understand, I think, in a really powerful way, this understanding of a perception as the way we're supposed to see it. Now, in verse one, we talked about this last week, Paul, Silvanus is just Silas and Timothy, uh, Paul's child in the faith. They were the ones writing this letter, and they just said to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says to them, grace and peace to you. Then he says to them this, we can't stop, is the idea, we can't stop giving thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning your prayers. I mean, anytime Paul uses like hyperbolic language, he's like, no, you guys are a great church. And remember, we talked about this. This church was such a good church. The only thing bad that he can say about them is in chapter four, verse one, where he says, hey, I want you to grow still more and more. But then this key verse, and this is really what we tried to unpack last week was verse three, where he says, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole verse is gonna now emanate. It's gonna keep just working its way through the entire letter of 1 Thessalonians. And the point that he's gonna say is, is that people, in the, and he's trying to, again, talk to these people that their perception is wrong. He's saying to the Thessalonians, I see, I see your work. I see your labor. I see your steadfastness. I see it. But what he wanted them to get is that it's not necessarily always the actions that come out because we can fake actions in some ways, is that we talked about the idea of a subjective genitive, meaning something that produces it. Well, what produces work and, and what produces labor and what produces steadfastness? He pulls back into these three words that have been a part of the church for years and he says, it was your faith, it was your love, it was your hope. 
And the way that we laid it out there was this idea that faith produces work, love produces labor, hope produces steadfastness. In other words, I don't have to always call you to work and labor and steadfastness as the church of Jesus. I need to press in front of you now instead faith and love and hope. And in that, that then fuels the fire of who we are and we begin to be the people that God's called us to be. That's his point. But I think what's so key to this, and this is where, let me just rework this a little bit. This is kind of a translating it in a different way then, is that he's saying to them then, remember, remembering. This is what I'm remembering. Your faith that produces work, your love that produces labor, your hope that produces steadfastness. But where does then faith and love and hope come from? This is why we have to preach Jesus. See, you don't have to find work, labor, and steadfastness. You don't even have to find faith, love, and hope. You find King Jesus, and you find all of those things. The primary reality of the church is to make sure that we press in front of everyone the kingship and greatness of Jesus. And I believe, especially for those of you that don't know Jesus here today, if you encounter the living King Jesus, your world will never be the same. You cannot encounter the great king without being changed, not only from this concept of how we're made different through faith and love and hope, but what will come out of your life will be distinct and different. This is why Jesus just talked about it constantly. You pursue me and fruit will come out of you. But the key component of the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you remember right, it wasn't necessarily faith or love or hope. Oftentimes, and this is the, the thing, oftentimes what Paul puts last becomes the most important thing. So in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love, so he calls it faith, hope, and love. But in 1 Thessalonians, he's talking to a group of people that I would say this, probably felt hopeless, and he was wanting to know, I'm gonna give you hope. It's not gonna be hope in a thing. It's not gonna be hope in a government. He was not gonna preach to them Rome. He was not going to preach to them Caesar. He was not going to preach good government. He was not going to preach good civic order. He wanted them to know what I came to preach to you is King Jesus and King Jesus alone, like he talks about to the Corinthians. I came and I preached Christ and him crucified. I put the king in front of you. And when we grasp that, our hope is sure. And that was why I gave you the definition I did last week, that hope is the confident expectation in God's proven faithfulness. God is always faithful. He's never not faithful. He can't, in fact, it talks about within the scriptures, be anything more or or he can't be anything less than completely faithful. But there's more to it. And this is where I want you to see as we go through 1 Corinthians but it's also the desire for the good God has promised in the future for those in Christ. In Hebrews eleven six, it talks about it's not just the things we understand, but it's also understanding the good that God has for us. So I love Steve's testimony, and I wasn't expecting it, so thanks for playing into my preaching. But the way that he said, all those different things I prayed for wasn't necessarily what God had, or what I had for me, but what God had for me was truly good. I don't care if it's in the temporal future or the far future, we can always bank on the faithfulness and the goodness of God, and we should gear our lives that way. Okay, so is everybody with me? All right, if you're not, you can shake your head. I can't see you because the lights are in my eyes, but just for right now, 
All right, here's where we're going. That's where I'm gonna do. Now, what we're gonna grab is this idea of faith, hope, and love. And now we're gonna, Paul's gonna now expand them starting in verse four, and he's gonna use this word for. For, if you, if you ever see that word within your Bibles, it's pointing back to what Paul has just said. In other words, he's saying, based upon verse three, I wanna tell you something. Now, watch what he tells them. Verse four. He says, for we know, it's, it's this Greek word oida, oida, which just means fact. We know this is a factual information. And I love this word, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now think about this. Their perception might be that they don't feel love. Their perception might be that they've lost family and countrymen. We know this, that once, you ha- once this you know, group of people in Thessalonians decided that Caesar was no longer the king, when he was no longer the great one, that they were gonna invest their lives into you. Instead, and we're gonna talk about this, they turned to God and from idols and they pursued King Jesus. It was going to be costly for them. It was gonna cost them family relationships. It was gonna cost them relationships within the civic kind of order that they lived in within the Thessalonians. And so his point was, your perception might be you've lost family and you've lost countrymen. You might now even, I would say this, feel like a nobody. But that is perception. That is not necessarily reality. See, the reality he wants them to know is you are loved by God. You are loved by Yahweh, the one through the entire Old Testament that is proclaimed in front of the people as the great king and ruler and omnipotent one over all things. That great God loves you. What? Not only that, he calls them brothers. You're part of a new family. You're part of a new kingdom. You belong inside of this. You, you are someone that God chose before the foundations of the world, he talks about in Ephesians 1. You are not just anybody. You are a somebody to the God of the universe. That's reality. Whether you have that perception or not, this is true. Verse 5 How do we know that? He says, well, because our gospel, is it on there? There we go. Because our gospel, he says in there, came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, meaning we came and we preached the gospel amongst you, even as men that were beat down, torn down. They'd just come from Philippi, in which they'd been kicked out, like they get kicked out of everywhere. And he comes in in this low moment, not because he was so great, but because the power of God in him and a message that says, if we just proclaim King Jesus, and no, no matter how weak or tired we are at that moment, this message has power power. It's a power that transforms. And that's why he said in there, because he even says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You saw us. You didn't just hear a message. You saw the transformational reality of God coming into our lives. You watched it. Your perception might have been that we were weak and not strong. Your perception might have been that somehow that that we weren't these people that were powerful. We may not have used flattering words or giant kind of rhetoric and be able to draw you to King Jesus. We just came and simply presented Jesus to you. But he wanted them to know it was for your sake. You saw love on display. You saw it. 
You experienced it. He says, verse six, you became imitators. You, you mimicked us. You got transformed. You got transformed not just by anybody, but by the Lord. See, it's no longer now about the, the Lord being King Caesar, but by King Jesus, you received the word in much affliction. You got it, but then you experienced all kinds of difficulty. But look at this. This is the power that was not only in Paul and Silas and Timothy, but he says it came into you and you had joy even in the midst of much affliction through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your perception might be one thing, but Paul says your perception can be wrong. Here is truth. Verse seven, you even became an example to all the believers, not just in Thessalonica, but believers in all of Macedonia. That word there is this, this word for, for, called tupas. It's for a stamp. And you left your mark on it. It wasn't just you left a mark on this city of 100,000 people. It was expanding all throughout Macedonia. He's going to explain a little further in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. In other words, you all are out there. People are talking about what God's done there. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we have nothing we have to say anymore. He's like, I know it might feel right now that what in the world am I doing? And, and your perception is, is that somehow you're wondering, is God even doing anything right now? But he wanted him to know that your perception needs new eyes. Your perception needs to know what's really going on. In verse nine, he uses the word for again. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, your, the word is entrance. You'll see this next week when, when Christian talks about it. Your entrance into the city. They, you've told the story of what happened when Paul and Silas and Timothy showed up. You, you talked about what took place and how you turned to God from idols. That's the word. That's another idea of repentance. You turned from false gods to true gods. That's kind of an Old Testament understanding to serve the living, true God. Not the God that, gods that a lot of you believed in. You, you rejected all those other gods and you just embraced the one true God. You didn't in any way syncretize. You didn't, you didn't somehow grab you know, the best of their world, Dionysus. You didn't grab uh, a Caesar. You didn't grab Cabarrus. You didn't grab all these gods and, and kind of put them together with King Jesus. You rejected those gods as false gods, ones that could provide no hope, no love, no faith, and you bent your entire existence on the one true living God. He said, I know it might be difficult. I know you might not see it now. But this is what happened amongst you. Now, let me just say it this way. The other day, I was talking to a gentleman. He came up and he goes, do you ever feel like we as the church were not winning? He goes, I feel like when I look at the news, when I, when I, when I read, you know, Facebook, because Facebook has all kinds of factual information on it, or when I, when I, you know, all these different ways in which I engage the world, I just feel like we're losing. I feel like right now that, the, that, that all the different forces that are out there, whether they be conservative or liberal, whether they be within our culture or, or maybe outside of Simi Valley into the greater metropolitan area of, of, of Los Angeles or even the United States, I just feel like we are losing. And Paul needed to remind them, King Jesus not only one day will win, King Jesus has won, is winning, and will win one day. He wanted them to know your perception might be that our king is not winning, but our king has won, is winning, and will one day complete all things and will be the grand victor over all. 
He wants them to get that. Now listen to me. I don't, I know we have perception on what's going out in the world we live in. I know it. All of us have it. We feel it. Don't buy into the lie then that we have to grab human means to accomplish the task that only the proclamation of the gospel can do. We can change all the laws to reflect what we want it to look like, but the whole point of the Old Testament is to remind us even the perfect law of God, apart from the transformation of the life, cannot spur people to live as they are called to live by God. There must be a transformation. If you really want to see your neighborhood change, your family change, your city change, your state change, your nation change, and the world change, the only means of transformation is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way found under heaven other than that. So therefore, I'm not saying we don't engage ourselves in our world. We need to speak truth and justice into our world. There is wrong and there is evil in our world. And the church is called to proclaim it. But make sure, no matter which side of the political spectrum you get on, don't get into too much cahoots with those groups of people because after a while, you're gonna lose your prophetic voice. We need to speak to liberal and conservative the truth of God that at all times we will only serve one king and that is King Jesus alone. Now why? Verse 10, I'm glad you asked. Because all of us in this room, we're waiting for the sun. There is coming a time when King Jesus will come back he has been coronated and inaugurated as the king. We even see that. We, we, we look down. He is coming not from anywhere. He is coming from heaven. He is right now at the right hand of the Father. He is orchestrating all things. He is beautifying his church and preparing it one day to present it to God the Father. He is interceding for us every single day. But there is one day this one who was raised from the dead and declared to be the grand victor over sin and Satan and death. He will return as the king that he did to is to rightfully reign over all things. And you can see this, this one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the reality of going against the justice of God is you will experience his wrath. But for all those in Christ Jesus... The wrath of God is not on us. It has been placed on his son already on the cross. We now sit as groups of people that will live then in that world that after the judgment of Jesus will be righted. We wait for that hope. Let me show you just a couple things because this is important to what we're going through. Now, how does this talk about work produced by faith? Well, let me, let me show you what I mean by it. In verse four, you can look down in your Bibles if you want to. The first component, why, why this idea of the work of faith is so important is because you did not choose God. Everybody get that? All throughout the Bible, it never says, you chose God first. No, and here's the big thing for him. From the mind and heart of God, the reason that you can have hope is that God, he says, has chosen you. We can have all kinds of the theological debate if you want to. I'm just looking at the text and it's just saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the beginning point and the reason that we can have hope is that not first did I choose God, but he chose me. 
Not only did he choose me, and this is kind of the first part of it, and I'm sorry it's small, but I had to make it small because I gotta make my circle here. Not only has he chosen you, but look down in verse five. This gospel came to you. The thing I love about that particular message is, is that they weren't looking for it. The Thessalonians weren't wondering, hey, I wonder what the good news is until Paul showed up in their town. And we know, looking back into chapter 16, that the only reason Paul came is because God gave him a vision through a dream and said through a Macedonian, come over here. And so Paul and all of them jumped on a ship and they went to Philippi. It didn't go in some ways like he thought it would. So they left and they went to Thessalonica. In other words, he wanted them to know it's not based upon only that God has chosen you, but he sent us to you. The home that Steve grew up in, the way in which me in college got introduced to the gospel, I would have never known that I needed it until somebody gave it to me. But not only is our gospel something that came to you, I love this in here, you received it. Finally in this process, God opened your eyes and you saw the greatness and the goodness of King Jesus and you said, Yes, please, can I have more? You guys know this. Those of you that have embraced King Jesus, you know that first day you got it. I still remember getting it. I mean, within my first two days, I've told you this before, I was gonna share Jesus with every one of my friends. I'm reading the Bible. I went and got this book by this guy named Jonathan Edwards, two volumes, because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. I don't recommend that early in your Christian walk. But I just, I couldn't believe that the king of the universe The person of Jesus drew me to himself. And he said, not only that, did you receive the word, but now in verse nine, you saw the beauty of God and you turned to him. You turned away from all these different things. You begin to have a love, not again because we loved God, but because 1 John 4, he loved us first. So I turned to God from idols. But then not only that, my life began to be transformed. The word of the Lord sounded forth. It began to go forth, he said, into Macedonia and the rest of uh, of Achaia. Verse 8, not only that, but people came to know Jesus. Your faith in God has gone forth. People were transformed. Now, when I put that up there, let me go backwards. When I put that up there, his whole point is you can have hope because our God is at work in you. He was trying to show them a circle that in this giant circle then, their faith going forth has been reminded that those that embraced it were ones that God had chosen. Their message was one that they delivered, not Paul and Silas and Timothy. And these people then saw the greatness and the beauty of Jesus received it, turned to God from idols. In other words, all of us sitting in this room in some way are the byproduct of that. If this would have never happened, we wouldn't even be in this room. 2,000 years later, In other words, he's saying to them, you can't stop our king. You can't. Because our king has chosen to move this forward. When our king chooses to move something forward in a way, he is absolutely unstoppable. And his point to the Thessalonians, you can bank your hope on that. But not only that, He put another parable, kind of the way I'd say this, it's the way that Jesus was talking about it. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man looked and sowed in his field. 
It's the smallest of seeds, this idea of faith. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden, the plants, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make the nest in the branches. In other words, Jesus promised that through the faith of Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This group of people, Paul wanted to know, you're a part of an unstoppable force of the building of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, Cornerstone, never miss this. You're a part of the greatest endeavor ever that God has given to humanity, the church of Jesus, and it cannot be stopped. One last thing in here. Let me show you this. He says in there, we know, brothers, loved by God. Listen to me. I know at times we don't feel lovable. There are times that we wonder if God loves us, We wonder as we go through difficulty, we wonder where things are, and we begin to doubt the fact that God loves us. That is a perception. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you are fully and completely loved. You're not just loved by him, and that's the way I put it kind of in this first part of it. You're not only loved by him, But I would say it this way. Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In other words, he said he's he's given us these groups of people called Christians that God has transformed these Christ ones. And in transforming these Christ ones that no longer live for themselves but live for King Jesus, they then come as representatives from God and also they extravagantly love you, even for your sake, not their own. We start a circle again. And in this circle, verse 9, you now turn to God from idols to serve the living God. He gave you new loves. You begin to see the greatness of who he was. Verse 6, you became imitators. Oops, you became imitators of, oh, there, I'm on it. Sorry. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In other words, you got changed. And as you got changed, you realized you were part of something powerful You were brothers. Somebody asked me two weeks ago, they said, why is it that you go around Cornerstone before service and you try to hug everybody and shake everybody's hand? You're my family. You're my brothers and sisters. You're more important actually even than my physical family. You're my forever family. Some of you were my crazy aunts and uncles that we don't know what to do with. You probably think that about me. This is our family. Sometimes as we get into church growth and getting things bigger and better and fancier and shinier, we forget just simply who we are. We're just a family. We're to love each other extravagantly. And I love the fact, one of the things about Cornerstone is, is I've never felt less than loved. But he says in there, you became an example to believers in Macedonia. In other words, your love just began to spread. And in that, his point being, as it spread, it just creates hope. Now listen to me. If you are not a follower of King Jesus, you should have no hope. See, hope comes from God. And the only way that we ever can come to God is because Jesus first came to us. He died 
so that then this wrath might not be poured against those that don't believe in Jesus. It was poured on his son, Jesus, and by faith when we come to him and we acknowledge him for the king that he is, the one who rescues us from our sins and his wrath, we now can know that we're not just anybody. We are in Christ Jesus. And so today, if you don't know Jesus, I would invite you, come talk to me, talk to somebody around you. Do not leave today without encountering this great King, Jesus Christ, because I promise you, once you encounter him, you will never know hope like you find in King Jesus and King Jesus alone. For the rest of us that are in Christ, never forget who you are. Never Right now, I'm looking out at a group of people. Do you realize the church was started in Acts with 120 people? 120. Who starts a great movement with 120 people? I'd go out and I'd be like trying to hire 5,000. There's enough power in this room as identified by the work of God throughout the last 2,000 years to not just turn a city upside down, but to turn a region upside down and to turn a state upside down and turn a nation upside down. You aren't just a part of anything. You're a part of the great commission where our king who sits enthroned above all things will make it happen. And so today, have courage and hope. His mission cannot be thwarted. But second of all, you are loved. I know that's sometimes weird for us to figure out. We have to sort through how we grew up, the dads we had, the, the ways in which the world operates. But today you can know you are deeply loved. You will be loved in the past, or you have been loved in the past. You are be loved, being loved in the present. And the book of Revelation tells us that one day, God will be our God fully with us, present with us, and we will be his people. We will be forever loved. Cornerstone, never forget who you are. That is reality. The rest is just perception. Are you with me? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your goodness and your greatness. Oh, Father, over this group of people, if there's any that don't know you today, would they by faith encounter the great King Jesus? Would they not just encounter the omnipotent ruler of all things, but would they encounter the one who loves them? And Father, would you open our eyes to your greatness, your goodness, your love, your power, and Father, I beg you, not only just at Cornerstone, I beg you on behalf of all the churches in this area, and there's so many good churches in Simi Valley, oh, would you unleash us to be your people believing that with even just a few people, you can turn a city upside down. Help us believe that. And then, Father, help us, even though it might feel daunting and overwhelming. Oh, God, would you help this family and our extended family in Simi Oh, would you help us to live it out? And so, Father, we ask all those things knowing that we can't do it because apart from you, Jesus promised us we can do nothing. Oh, but Father, you have demonstrated through 2,000 years
you can do what sometimes we don't think can happen. Show your power in your precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to jump down. We're going to sing one more song, but let me just say this. In the name of the Father who chose you if you are in Christ and loves you if you are in Christ. He showed that he chose and he loves us by sending his son Jesus who demonstrated that choosing and that love on the cross. And then he reminded us that our king isn't just anybody, but he ripped him from the grave. And right now he is sitting at the right hand of the father as true king of kings and Lord of lords. And to help us in this path, he didn't just leave us as human people. He inhabited his Holy Spirit amongst us. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be the people that God intends us to be for the sake of the city and the area and the state and the nation and the world in which we live. May you go this week full of hope in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all. And let me remind you again as one of your shepherds, I love you. God bless you.